Welcome to the Emerging Leaders Podcast, where we talk to leaders from all around the globe, from every different leadership level, so that you can learn about leadership. Today, I travel the ocean to the United States, and I talk to Susan Bowles. Susan is a virtual CFO and operations advisor for agencies and consultants at ScaleSpark. She helps them break out of growth stalls by fixing back-end processes and creating systems designed to scale. She has over a decade of experience as a CFO and software consultant and is on a mission to help founders build sustainable, profitable businesses. She also is the host of the Break the Ceiling podcast, the show that breaks down unconventional strategies you can use to save time boost your profits and increase your operational capacity. Susan's details, if you'd like to contact her, are in the show notes. But welcome now to Susan and I'm sure you really enjoy learning about Susan's leadership experience. Suzanne, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me on my podcast um, about emerging leaders. I'd really love to hear your story and all about, you know, your first experience of becoming a leader and then also what it's like for you now. So, yeah, tell me about yourself. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I've been in. <laughs> um, so I really started out in leadership positions very young. Um, I was in ROTC, which is um, the Reserve Officers Training Corps. Basically, as I was in college, I was preparing to become an Air Force officer. And as part of that, you do basically four years of minoring in leadership. Um, And so I was, I think, 18, 19, in my first like real leadership position where I was in charge of, I think it was about 20 or so, uh, other cadets leading them through and helping them figure out how, how to be, how to start learning how to be a leader. Because really that's what a lot of the military officer training is, is teaching you how to be a leader, both in practice and academically. Um, And so in college, I was kind of in leadership positions pretty much the whole time. Um, By the time I was a senior, I was the wing commander in charge of our entire detachment, which was about, I think, 225 cadets, Um, and then rolled right into the military, showed up, and they gave me 120 people that I was in charge of that all knew more about their job than I did. Wow. (laughs) Um, And challenge. (laughs) It, it was, uh, I got some excellent advice from one of my professors in ROTC, right as we were graduating. And he said, you know, show up, don't say anything, um, and listen to your senior NCO. And the senior NCOs are there. They're um, people who have been in the military for usually like 15, 20 years and have gradually worked up through 
the enlisted side of the military. Um, so we were all basically partnered with someone. And luckily I got someone who was fabulous. He was a great mentor. He really uh, let me ask whatever I wanted to ask behind closed doors and uh, protected me in front of the troops and made sure that I didn't say anything stupid. Um, and, and that's what I did is I showed up and I said nothing. And for the first six months or so, I only said what my senior NCO told me to say, <laughs> um, which was fabulous because I got to learn and watch him do what he was doing, watch him actually mentoring real people and watching how he is kind of consciously developing them and putting them in the, the right position to make them just a little bit uncomfortable so that they can stretch and kind of get into that next level of leadership. So being able to watch him and kind of mirror what he was doing took a lot of the kind of academic leadership stuff that I had learned in college and gave it a real like practical face. So that was really my first experience in leadership was very young and very early. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what was yeah. your biggest challenge? Oh, uh, uh, being 20, I think I was 21. Um, so, you know, 21 had just graduated from college uh, and I show up and it was um, just re just after uh, the, the base I was getting assigned to had been hit by a tornado. Like the whole thing about half the base had been leveled by a tornado. I was stationed in Oklahoma City. Um, which is kind of famous for tornadoes wow. and there was a really big one that year and so I showed up and the base was still in kind of crisis response um, it was relatively uh, relatively speaking fairly shortly after 9-11 um, so there was just a lot there were it, we were very heavily manned and literally everybody there knew more than I did um, and that was a challenge, was trying to balance this weird dynamic of being very young and very inexperienced and still being asked to lead all of these people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would say that was, that was absolutely the biggest challenge, was just figuring out how to, um, how to manage that dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine. That's, um, Wow. That's an amazing experience to start off with in your career. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like being thrown into the fire and, you know, you basically you sink or swim. You either yeah. figure out how to, how to yeah. handle it or, or you don't, I guess. Yeah, but you also had, um, I guess, something that a lot of new leaders don't get and that is that, that training and that development in leadership. Um, I know when I was... I was also 21 when I first became a leader, not to the size of um, that you were working, but you know, I had five full-time staff and 30 casuals and um, I had no training. And yeah, it's, it's a, um, it was a bit of a shock. I was a good manager. I can't say that I was a good leader. So, but how awesome to have that, those skills, um, you know, given to you, even if you hadn't had that experience yet to, to roll it out. But yeah. 
So, so what's good, like with, with the learning that you did, were there things that you still found um, when you put it in practice, it didn't quite work as you were taught or were there things that might've still been missing? I don't think there was anything that didn't necessarily work the way that I was taught, but there is definitely a difference between the academic side of leadership and being able to see an individual person and the kind of follower that they are and the kind of leadership that you need to give to them personally. Um, And so, you know, I I learned a lot about academically about followership styles and leadership styles and how to match those two, but it can be very difficult when you're faced with an actual person that you are being expected to lead (laughs) and being able to appropriately identify what kind of follower they are. That's a, that was a real challenge for me was being able to lead um, not necessarily a big group of people because that to me was a little bit easier uh, yeah. than trying to lead and mentor somebody one-on-one and being able to identify what kind of follower they are, what kind of leadership you really need to put into place in order to have them be able to work at the best of their ability. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of nuances in there that you can't learn from books. No. And I think a lot of times you learn the best from screwing it up, which is not the best way to go about learning. <laughs> but I think, you know, I learned yeah. so much more in situations where it was tough, a, a challenge. Yeah. Where, you know, either the organization's culture was a challenge or just individual people that, you know, I just couldn't figure out how to get through to them. Um, help me recognize it the next time. The next time I had a follower, you know, that reacted that way, I had a better understanding of how to do it. So I think there is definitely an aspect of both being a manager and a leader that you just can't learn academically. You have to learn on the job with people because people are so different. So true. And I'm glad you brought that up. You know, um, it's one of the things that I found uh, in coaching people is that, that, you know, you can do as much book studies as, as you can, but when you're actually faced with a real situation, it, you know, (laughs) the books don't always help. No. I mean, they give you some, some tools, but the practicality is that people are people mm-hmm. <laughs> and they don't always fit into the categories. <laughs> they don't. I will say the, the part for me that uh, I started to kind of look at was who was leading me in the organization? What kind of style did they have? What did that make me feel like? Um, And being a little bit more aware of how I liked to be managed helped me also identify like coworkers. I I looked for examples where it wasn't necessarily me that had to do the leading, but opportunities to analyze what was happening around me without it actually being me and my leadership on the line. Yeah. 
and I had some great examples of both fabulous leaders and horrible leaders to um, <laughs> kind of pull from. And, you know, I had some really challenging, I, I worked for some very challenging people that when I started to look at more of the dynamic of what was happening, made me able to say, well, I don't ever want to do that. Or I never want to make any of my, any of the people that work for me feel like that. How else could I have approached that? Or um, how, how would I have handled that situation? And luckily I had a, um, I had a fabulous boss. He's probably the best, the best leader I have ever worked for in my whole career. Um, and luckily I, I worked for him pretty early on. And he used to, um, he made me his executive officer. So basically I was his, his deputy and he would take me into meetings. He would take me, uh, into, you know, when he was speaking and then when we left, he would actually sit down with me and say, well, okay, what do you think? How would you have handled the situation? Um, and he would also talk me through why he made decisions that he did. Um, so he was explaining like the rationale that was going on in his head. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons that he, he had a big impact on me as a leader and as a mentor, because it was so valuable to understand somebody who had been doing this for so long. Yeah. Um, and what, what his thought process was when he was making decisions for large organizations. Yeah. Wow, what a what an awesome experience to have a great mentor. Yeah, um, I've I've never I've never seen that ever again. Yeah, um, yeah. but it was so impactful for me just being yeah. able to watch and understand what he was doing. Yeah. And it helped me think a little bit through um how how I was making decisions so I could make them a little bit more logically and what should I take into consideration when I was making a decision and all of the different aspects because I think sometimes when you are you know early in leadership or early into a management position it's hard to understand kind of the far-reaching impacts of the decisions that you'll make and so being true. able to think through that was um, just a, a really useful skill that I learned early on from him. Awesome so do you take some of those skills now in your leadership roles that you've had since um, leaving the armed forces, like have you um, been able to, and also what you learned through your mentor, um, found that those that that grounding right at the beginning has helped you. Absolutely. I mean, I can I can point to, uh, I I can see in my leadership style the influence of my early mentors, both my the senior NCO that I worked with and that commander that I had. Um, had a big impact on how I approached leadership, both from a kind of a big organizational perspective, but also one-on-one -on -one mentorship, because they both took the time to explain what was going on, explain what they were thinking, explain why they were making the choices that they were making. And being able to see that helped me not only do that for myself, but yep. it also helped me model that for people I was mentoring. Um, I, I will say, I don't think you ever stop learning when it comes to leadership. There will always be another scenario that will teach you something. Um, yeah. you know, the last position I had as a CFO was for an organization that had like 375 people. 
I was managing HR and IT and uh, inventory and communications and marketing and basically anything in the organization um, that wasn't directly related to our purpose was in, in my lap. So it was a very um, large scope of responsibility, but yeah. it was a culture that I had not ever really had to experience. You know, throughout my career, I made a habit of working with people who were very good at their job. Um, and I am a great leader for top performers because that's who I'd worked with. Um, yeah. Either because I had the choice of who I was hiring and I hired top performers or just because that's who I was exposed to um, working in the military um, or with the, with the military as a civilian later on. Um, and when I got to this new organization, it was a, just a different experience. Nobody had left in 30 years. So it was the same people working the same job for 30 years. So there hadn't been any kind of that in and out and current uh, cultural practices, maybe. <laughs> um, basically nothing had changed and nobody had been held to a standard because over the years, the standards had kind of just gone away. Everybody had been doing the same thing over and over for so long. Everybody kind of got lazy and there wasn't anybody new coming in to say, hey, uh, why are you doing it that way? Or this doesn't make sense. Or um, you can't say that now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so it was, a, you know, even though I'd been doing this for I guess, 20 something years, it was still, I still had to then learn how to go try and fix a culture of an organization, both the whole scope of it, but on the individual basis. How do you motivate people who aren't top performers, have never necessarily seen what a top performer looks like? Um, nobody's ever talked to them about uh, what their career progression should be or um, and they just don't have those expectations of themselves. You know, that was a totally different kind of leadership and management style that I had to try and figure out. Um, yeah. And it, you know, even, even though I'd been doing leadership stuff for 25 years, there was still more to learn and still, um, still ways to get better. I think it's something you're always, you always just have to, um, learn more there's always more to learn there is and i oh, wow you've had two very vast experiences in <laughs> that you've shared and and i you know a part of me goes wow imagine being in the same job for, for so long I, yeah i couldn't <laughs> no i couldn't either but but also that you know not having that freshness um you know a, a there's that old saying that says don't pick something that's not broken but just because it's not broken doesn't mean it can't be improved <laughs> well and you know i think there is an aspect of if it's 30 years old it probably is broken and you're, you don't <laughs> yes. notice it yes um, true. which was the case in the you know in this case yeah. one of my peers that started around the same time i did we joked that, you know, this was, I guess, 20, it was only three years ago. <laughs> so it was like 2017. Yeah. Uh, we joked that when we got to the organization, it felt like you were going to be back to like 1995. 
Like just <laughs> everything was paper and nobody knew how to use a computer and um, just stuff that you wouldn't necessarily think about was true in this organization because nobody, there had been no turnover. Wow. Um, and it made me really appreciate the uh, military's philosophy, which was basically rotate your leaders every two to three years. Yeah. Um, so that you have, you know, established people there that can say, hey, we've tried this or here's something that's a current circumstance. But you also always had somebody coming in saying, is that still the best way we could do that? Like, wh yeah. why are we doing it this way? Is this still the best way? Is there a better way? Yeah. Um, and with that in and out, you kind of get a constant. You're, you're just kind of constantly reevaluating what you're doing to make sure it's still the best thing to be doing. I think that's so important. And even as leaders, if you're not the one asking those questions, if you allow your team to ask those questions, you, you know, that helps you to, um, I guess, stay fresh, but also to evaluate your own skills and what you're doing. Um, Absolutely. I think there's a lot of value um, in having new blood at all levels. Yeah. Um, because even, you know, even after I'd been there, you know, two or two and a little bit years, when I started hiring in new people, they were asking those same questions. Why are you doing this? Why is, um, you know, why aren't we doing it this way? Why aren't we taking advantage of this other thing that I knew? And yeah, fresh eyes, I think, are so helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So if you had an opportunity to write a letter to your younger self, about your experience over the years, what would you tell yourself? Oh man. <laughs> um, you know, I don't actually, I, I think I would tell myself, do what you did. Um, you know, listen, listen to your mentors, observe, take, take the time, especially when you're new and when you're young um, to observe, look, see what's happening, take the temperature. Um, get a little bit deeper feel for the organization before you start trying to make sweeping changes. And it's always hard because you, you yeah. come in and you're like, I have all of these new, new ideas. Um, yeah. But it takes time to build up that trust to get people on board with the things that you want to do and the initiatives that you're interested in. And it takes time to, for you to understand the people in your organization and how they think and how best to motivate them. And yeah. um, so I think I always go back to that that piece of advice that my uh, that my ROTC instructor gave me, which was just show up and and listen before you say anything. Um, and especially being being young, that was so helpful. Yeah, yeah. What a great piece of advice. Uh, so, what differences are you seeing in the workplace now that you think leaders need to know from? from previously um, that you may be able to help my audience with in, you know, some of the things that apart from what you just said, which I think is a really helpful, um, but that they may um, be able to take away from what you've learned. I, I think we're returning to this now, but when I first got into the military, and this is a good example, I think it, there's a lot of parallels to corporate, um, the people in the leadership positions genuinely cared about the people that worked for them as people. Um, they recognized that they had families, that they had responsibilities outside of work, that they, um, 
have priorities that maybe weren't the same priorities as the organizations. And I feel like over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, we sort of got away from that. And people became kind of a cog. Um, and the, the leadership training was more, was, was less focused on recognizing each individual as a person, not yeah. just as a worker, but as a whole, a whole person with real issues um, and real stuff that's happening outside of their work environment that is going to impact their work. You know, yeah. if they have a sick parent, if they have uh, a kid that's having problems, if they're going through a divorce, um, all of that, no matter what, is going to impact how effectively they can do their work. And I, I think there was a, a little bit of a, a phase where we went through where we kind of forgot that. Um, and luckily, I think we're coming coming out the other end of that and starting to recognize and, and value again the fact that people have lives, <laughs> that yeah. that's okay for people to have lives outside yeah. of work. Um, and that's, as a leader, something that is important to remember is that you're not leading numbers or positions, you're leading people, people. that have <laughs> hopes and dreams and um, problems and by getting to know what's going on in their world and being able to support them. You know, you don't have to get all of the specific details, but understanding that they have something going on outside of work that's impacting it, and then just being kind and supportive yeah. uh, goes a really, really long way. And I, I think we're, we're returning to that, but that for me has always been the key um, to being a good leader is just understanding who you're leading as a person and what's going on with them. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, thank you, Susan. I really appreciate your time. Um, and thank you for sharing your story. It's um, Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. It was fun. It was really <laughs> good to get to know you more. And um, there's certainly some amazing experiences that you've had over the years. And um, I, I'm sure that my listeners will appreciate um, what you've you know, shared with us. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Susan, for joining me today. I so enjoyed learning about your vastly different leadership experience. And I really appreciate you traveling to Australia to join me on my podcast. If you would like to be part of the Emerging Leaders podcast, you can contact me at wendy at wendytanzi.com. Otherwise, you can also reach out to me on Instagram or LinkedIn. If you'd like to reach out to Susan, her details are in the show notes. Otherwise, I will see you in a fortnight and I hope you really enjoyed our time today. And thank you for joining us.